worship, guys. We really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for showing up, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online. Um, you're here and you're present and you're ready to worship. And that is more than nothing. That is really something. And thank you for that offering. Um, and Happy New Year to everyone. Um, you know, as we start off this new year, I have the great privilege of, you know, starting this, this sermon series that uh, Pastor Mike pitched to me, and I thought it was a really great idea because we talk about the birth of Christ, we talk about this Christmas story, and then we just jump 30 years to God's ministry, and here we get to look at these narratives that so often we hear, but we don't really explore and we get to kind of see kind of Jesus's, the prequel to Jesus's ministry with these stories. And we don't have a lot of information about these 30 years between his birth and his baptism, but we do have these really unique stories. And this morning, we're going to start off in a very timely one. Um, it picks up immediately after Christ's birth. And it's a story that, you know, we've all heard probably a hundred times before. But, you know, with any scripture, I want us to come with the... With the fresh eyes and fresh ears and, you know, kind of detach ourselves from the commonness of the story and really try to understand um, what's happening here. And the narrative picks up after Christ's birth, and it starts with these shepherds, and they're called by an angel of God to go and see the Savior that has been born. And the passage comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And God had a blessing to the hearing of God's word. And that is the complete story of the nameless shepherds in its entirety. And it's a simple and short story, but I do think it offers so much. When looking at how God works with and through these shepherds, I think there are three lessons in particular which we can examine and learn from. And these are going to be common themes throughout these narratives as we work through this sermon series. Um, the first piece offered from these shepherds is their wonder 
and their amazement. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is the way in which they receive God and receive God's glory and receive God's message. So it's their reception. The next is their response. What do they do with this experience of God's glory? And lastly is the form of worship offered by the shepherds. And what do I mean by worship? I mean how this response of the shepherds glorifies God, because that's what worship is. It's glorifying God. So how do the shepherds do that within this story? And these three things are all interconnected. The way in which they receive God's glory will impact the way in which they respond, and that will impact the way in which they worship and glorify God. And we're going to look at all three of these aspects through the lens of the shepherds. So the first thing to note occurs at the start of the passage, and this is the wonder, this is the amazement, this is the reception of God's calling. And from this, we see how God reaches out to us, who we are to God, and what a reception of God's glory can look like. So how does God reach out to these shepherds? An angel of God is dispatched with news. And in doing so, we see God reaches out with two things in particular in this, par- in this narrative. And the two things are God's glory and God's goodness. Now, at first listen, these two things might seem like they're one and the same. But as we see in this passage, the way in which the shepherds receive this and react to it makes them very different. First, let us look at God's glory. It comes with an angel of the Lord, a divine being bearing the glory of God. It appears and it surrounds the shepherds. The Greek being translated literally means to come upon, to surprise, or even to ambush. So we have this divine spiritual being carrying the authority and glory of God, ambushes these poor, humble shepherds in the dark, and the shepherds are terrified, and they are filled with fear. And without question, rightfully so. And I think this idea of fear needs to be addressed because we talk about love of God every Sunday, and we should, but we never really talk about fear of God because it's messy. It's a a messy word. But the first Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7, the author tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So I feel like we have to talk about this in some capacity But there's this tendency to coddle the word and we translate it or replace it with words like respect or veneration. And to be fair, this absolutely does help us to understand and elaborate on it. But fear also just means fear. And that should not be forgotten. These shepherds were in the presence of God's glory, the almighty creator of the universe, and in the presence of God's very powerful unearthly representatives. And these shepherds' awe of God's glory unquestionably takes the form of fear. And make no mistake, when you come to the sanctuary, we want you to have a good time. We want you to smile and cut up and enjoy it. But also, when we gather in the sanctuary, we are here to worship and pay honor to that same divinely powerful, awesome God. And that should never be taken lightly or flippantly. And when we ourselves seek out a foundation of our own awe and wonder of God, may we reflect on those words of Proverbs and the reception of these shepherds. May fear never be neglected from the foundation of our relationship with God.
Now with the heaviness of that in mind, it is held not in paradox, but in union with God's reaching out, with God's goodness. The angel, knowing the fear within them, comforts them and offers them a gift of grace in the midst of their fear. And this gift of comfort, it is the gospel, it is the good news, it is news that is so good we still preach it every Sunday, every week to this day. The knowledge that God and our Savior is with them and that God and our Savior is for them. A child in Bethlehem from the lineage of David, Israel's own Hercules, a king, but there's also, he's oddly born in a manger and he's covered in cloth and there's that strange aspect to this, but the strange but good news is reassured of its goodness by a heavenly host that appears declaring God's glory and promising peace for God's people. And with this news, perhaps the angel of the Lord was able to comfort them in the midst of their fear. And as we continue to examine the shepherd's reception, we also learn about a relationship with God by the means in which God delivers this message. God doesn't deliver this message from a voice from a cloud or from a vision. He sends a messenger, an angel of the Lord. Now, unlike Pastor Mike, he has a great love and excitement for the Greek language. I do not it stresses me out. When I hear the word parse, I have a panic attack. Um, it's just what it's called, it happens. Um, but there is something really interesting within this passage. And the word for angel, probably gonna mispronounce this because I'm really good at Greek, but it's angelos, and that's the word. And what it means is messenger or envoy or one who is sent, which makes sense, you know? But what's interesting, is that there's a verb tense of this word called agele. And it's very similar, but it means something quite different. It means to lead or to herd or to shepherd. And from this we learn that yes, the angels are messengers who are sent, but there is also an implication that they are representatives meant to lead and to pastor and to herd this flock. And the story kind of gets turned upside down. The shepherds have now become the sheep. And from this, we see this weird underlying message beneath the story that God has sent these shepherding angels to shepherd shepherds towards the birth of the good shepherd. It's kind of like the movie Inception. It makes sense if you either don't think about it at all or think about it way, way too much. Um, but it is really cool because we get to see this first visible example of this analogy that Jesus uses so often through the Gospels to represent God's relationship with God's people, a shepherd and his flock. And it's the first time we really get to see that. And we, in this analogy, are sheep. And that doesn't have a great positive connotation with it today. It really doesn't. But in this context, it's a great thing to be. It's a great thing to be a part of that flock. Because what it means is it means that God will defend us and protect us and care for us and lead us when obedient and search for us when astray and find us when we're lost. And that's a good thing. And much like the sheep and shepherds of the story, we might not understand what is going on and less so will we understand why what is happening is happening. But what we do know is that there is a shepherd who cares for us 
There is a shepherd who we can depend on, and there is a shepherd who has our best interests at heart. And that brings us to our second point. What is the response of the shepherds to the direction of this angel? The shepherds received God's glory with fear and God's grace with gratitude. And then the angel and the heavenly host, they up and disappear. They don't lead or drag the shepherds to the destination. They simply point it out for them. And they are left to decide what to do next. And the question is resolved quite quickly. The passage tells us that they hurry to Bethlehem to see it, to experience it. They hurry. They are eager to experience what God has prepared for them. And what is perhaps most interesting is their response is the lack of knowledge they have about where they're going or why they're going. These shepherds know nothing about Mary or Joseph, and they know and understand very little about this baby and this child. They blindly take that leap of faith inspired by God's glory and God's goodness, and they hurry, and they hurl themselves into a situation of which they have no information other than where, who, and when. There is no why ever offered to these shepherds. But much like the sheep, that doesn't stop them, nor does it slow them down. So what can we learn from this response here, and how are we to respond in our relationship with God. One of the more obvious things that we could take away from this is that we should respond eagerly and uninhibited. But if we're being honest, sometimes what God is asking us to do is not easy. It's not always a call to investigate good news. And I think our desire to avoid that which we don't want to pursue is not an excuse for not doing it, but it is understandable and it is human. And I don't think anyone can be faulted for not necessarily wanting to hurry to where God might be leading you because it might not be a place you want to go. But what I do think we can carry away from the example of these shepherds is their pursuit of God's will by faith. And what do I mean by faith? I don't mean that they believe that there is a baby in Bethlehem or in a manger or that the Messiah is nigh. No, what I mean by faith is their trust to go where they are led without knowing why or for what reason. And I don't want you to misunderstand me here. It is perfectly okay to go to God and to ask why this, why that, why me. I have no doubt that God wants us to be honest and vulnerable in our prayers and our offerings, and God allows space for us to wrestle with God and wrestle with those tough questions like why. But I think we must hold that intention with a very sacred acceptance of the fact that it is okay to not know why. It is okay to be sheep. It is okay to be a simple flock and to not understand what's going on. And I think as the story progresses, this is the most important response we see offered by the shepherds. Walking in God's way and being content that the walk doesn't need to be justified by the destination or by the reason. That the walk in and of itself is good. 
and it is good enough. And that's what they do. They walk in, when they come upon the baby in the manger, they see the baby, and sure enough, the angel has spoken the truth. And from there, I can only imagine what occurs. What I imagine is a painfully awkward introduction while everyone was trying to figure out who was who and what was going on and why were these very dirty and smelly strangers approaching this defenseless family in the middle of the night. From that and from all this confusion, the shepherds tell them what happened and what led them there. And the family wonders about this news, and they're amazed by it. And at the end of verse 18, though, it seems like no one really knows what to do with it. And we as readers are left in a similar state of wonder, which inevitably leads us back to that pesky question of why. Why did God send a group of shepherds to this family, to Jesus' family? What is the offering of these shepherds? How are they worshiping God? How are they glorifying God in this passage? Because if you really think about it, they seem to be completely unnecessary. They are delivering news that has already been delivered both to Mary and Joseph within the Gospel of Luke. And not only is it not clear to us why they're there, I don't think it is made clear to the shepherds anywhere in this passage why they are there. I think they simply responded out of fear and love for God. And for us, that should be inspiring to see. But the story does go on. And there is one person in the story who seems to know why they were sent. And we see in the beautiful following verse, it seems that Mary is the reason God sent these shepherds. In the midst of all her suffering and neglect and pain and rejection, humble shepherds are sent to meet her under a humble manger and reaffirm her with the good news that God has not forsaken her or her child. This child is the Messiah, not despite where he was born, but because of it. God did not send angels or kings or warriors or priests to go reassure Mary. He sent shepherds. He chose to send shepherds because God knew that's exactly what she needed to feel reassured. She didn't need someone to come strike punishment on the inn who rejected her or to threaten Herod who would come to threaten her and her family and her child. She didn't need anyone to come and save her from that manger or from that night. She just needed someone who could relate and lift her up with God's promise and God's care. And in doing so, I think these shepherds justified her child's birth to her. And they do something very important and remind us of something very important about this chosen child. We so often think that Jesus is born of the line of David because David was this great king. And Jesus is going to become this great king. And that is a hundred percent true. But when we fixate on that, we often neglect and it gets overshadowed that Jesus also came from the line of David because David was a shepherd 
and Jesus was a good shepherd. And Mary receives this message of validation and affirmation, not from angels or divine beings, but these humble people, and she treasures them. We don't know if the shepherds ever realized how much their journey and their presence and their words meant to Mary. But really, at the end of the day, all that matters is that they did, and they were treasured. And Mary's treasure validates the worship of the shepherd. And the worship of the shepherds is this, the godly faith will always lead to fruit, whether seen or unseen. And it is only after the shepherd's faithful worship that she names her child Jesus, meaning God saves. There's a lot we can take away from this story, but when asking how did the shepherds worship God, let it be known that walking in and by faith is enough, and it will be used to glorify God. When we receive God's word, God's message, God's direction, with love of God's goodness and fear of God's glory, let us respond by walking with blind, simple trust. That God is using us regardless of our inability to understand how or why. Know that it does not matter how humble or noble the stock you come from is. Know that you are not made by God idly. You were made and formed and sculpted in God's image. And you were made with love and care and intent. And all that God asks is that we trust that fact, that we trust our shepherd will lead us to green pastures by his rod and by his staff. The shepherds in the story did nothing but listen and go and glorify. And that was enough. They were present and God used their faith to provide reassurance that wasn't just enough, it was precisely what Mary needed and what she treasured, whether they realized it or not. I'm not saying that living a godly life will win you praise or reward, I'm saying most likely the opposite. Much like the shepherds, you might just remain a nameless figure in a story passed down by a stranger you once helped. We are never guaranteed to see the fruits of our labor. But when we have faith, when we have trust in God, we can sleep soundly knowing that it was never in vain. Let God use you today. Let God lead you today. We may not know or ever be assured of the ripple effects of our faith, but let's be sheep nonetheless. And in doing so, may we trust that our faithful walking is worship. May we trust that it is enough and that it will glorify. And may we trust in our good shepherd, the God who saves. And with that, let us pray. Dear Heavenly God, we come to you this morning humbly, fearfully, and lovingly. Lord, you are a great God. You are a caring God. 
You are an almighty God, but you are a present God. And we thank you for that. Help us to walk in your ways. May you guide us with your Holy Spirit, with your scripture, with those that you put around us. May you teach us where to go and may you lead us as the good shepherd you are. Lord, we thank you for taking care of this flock. We pray for this flock that you may lift up the people and the congregation here and all those that trust in your name. God, may you teach us to trust in you and not in ourselves. And even when we don't see the good that we do, the good that you do through us, may we trust that you are doing it, not because of our own work, but because you are wise and you are good, God. Lord, we pray this in your heart.